One of the most challenging things about any path of faith and about our walk with Christianity is how do we make sense of religious experiences, of mystical experiences? What are we to make of those moments when we perceive glimpses of God, glimpses of the divine, those moments when something may happen outside of ourselves or maybe a moment in our hearts when we feel connection to the beauty, the enormity, or the power, or the love of God. These moments often defy words. And they point at a divine reality that is so much bigger than our little selves. And for some of us, some of us these moments happen in nature. We're blessed to live by the beach, walking on the beach, seeing the ocean, watching a sunset. Or perhaps it happens in more direct ways, perhaps here in church, during a prayer, at the healing rail, during communion, or maybe in your own private prayers or meditations. These experiences are experiences of the thin place where the concrete nature of our reality intersects with the divine where we feel the presence of God, a presence that's very hard to put into words. And this is the struggle that Peter and James and John have on the mountain with Jesus. They go up with him to pray. And while Jesus was praying, Scripture tells us the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him, speaking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. This is called the Transfiguration, and it's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, and it is a mystical experience writ about as large as you can get. So here in Luke's Gospel, how do the disciples make sense of it? They see Jesus' face glowing. Do they rejoice? No. They're weighed down with sleep. Now, I remember in seminary having trouble staying awake when I was reading really thick theological texts. And when I was complaining about this to one of my professors, whose expertise was in Christian mysticism, she said, well, Katie, that, that's only natural. It's your body telling you to stop that you need time to absorb what you've read. And sleep will help you. And it turns out that sleep research is actually confirming this phenomenon. After major input of information or experiences, and especially emotion, emotional ones, researchers know now that we need what's called slow-wave sleep. It's different from the REM sleep and the dreaming sleep. But that slow-wave sleep helps consolidate our memory, helps us make sense of the experiences. So when the disciples get weighed down with sleep after this extraordinary moment, perhaps they're not clueless and checking out. Or maybe they're not just tired from hiking up the mountain. Perhaps their bodies are luring them into making sense of this overwhelming spiritual experience. Yet, 
Luke's gospel tells us they did stay awake, and Peter blurts out his first instinct in response. Let's make shrines or dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Now this idea of making dwellings or sacred tents fits with how Hebrew scripture describes their forefathers like Jacob and others building shrines when they'd had mystical encounters with the divine. And the idea of making dwelling places where one has had those experiences fit with how Judaism understood these thin places where God breaks into concrete reality, thin places where we might get close to God. And think about Moses. We heard about it in the first reading when Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to talk with God, and he comes down, his face is radiant, so radiant it scares some of the people. So when Peter and James and John are overwhelmed and Peter blurts out this thought, he barely gets it out when a voice says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And the voice comes out of this cloud that enveloped them, this huge cloud, and they were terrified. They were terrified before the voice even spoke. They were terrified when the cloud descended upon them. And they would have known from Hebrew scripture that God's presence was frequently seen in the guise of clouds. Clouds accompanied the Ark of the Covenant, leading the Israelites through the wilderness. Clouds enveloped the top of the mountain where Mount Sinai, where Moses went up to talk with God. And I can tell you on a practical level, the fog at the top of the mountain, Mount Tabor, where it's understood the transfiguration took place, it can be scary thick. I had the privilege of going there once on pilgrimage. And I have to say, Mount Tabor, if any of you have been there, it would be really hard for us as Californians to call it a mountain. (laughs) It's like a hill. (laughs) It's big, rounded mountain. I'm sitting isolated in a huge plain. It's only about 1,800 feet tall. That's, you know, our Santa Monica mountains go over 3,000 feet. Sierra Nevada's up in the 13, 14,000. So, mountain. It's just a few hour hike. And it was beautifully sunny as we crossed the plain and we're approaching it. I was watching it out of the bus. But then when we started going up, Seemingly out of nowhere, this fog came. And it got so thick that when we were near the top, I couldn't see the edge of the road out of the window of the bus. And I was scared. I still don't know what the outside of that church looks like because I just followed the person in front of me to get into it. So it's really easy for me to imagine how scary it must have been for Peter, James, and John to be in that fog, to be disoriented, to not be able to see, and then have this huge voice, this is my son? How would any of us make sense of that? I'm speechless. And this declaration smashes Peter's idea of, hey, Jesus is like Moses and Elijah, let's make shrines to him. 
Because this voice booming out is saying, Jesus is so much more than you can imagine. And that's where today's story of the transfiguration ends. Peter and James and John are silent, and they keep silent. The last line says, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. It is hard to make sense of mystical experiences. And it's hard to make sense of those moments when we feel touched by God, extraordinarily rare, and I do have to set aside some jealousy at the, you know, having the voice out of the clouds speak. But many of us have had these little moments. And the fact that it ends up that the disciples remain mum, perhaps that is affirming like the sleep, the necessity for us to sit internally and process what we don't understand for a while and wait until it makes sense. For the disciples, it will make sense after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And only then will the transformative radiance of Christ fill their hearts with this awareness that that transformation and that love is for them. Only then will they understand, this is my son, has a much larger meaning than they knew. It has a meaning that the loving, liberating, life-giving power of Jesus is there for each and every one of us. But on the mountaintop, they're befuddled and they're mute. And this happens just days after Jesus has actually befuddled the disciples by saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. He predicts his death. So they likely have been chewing on that before he invites them up onto the mountain. And in the transfiguration, you have these three disciples looking at Jesus' glory, hearing this voice, yet also hearing about Jesus' passion. That's a lot to chew on. Got mystical experience and theology and concrete life. So here we are reading this story on the precipice of Lent. Just as Jesus will head down the mountain with his disciples, gather the whole crew, and start walking to Jerusalem towards his crucifixion, so too will we, starting Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, begin our 40-day walk to Easter. And like Peter, James, and John, we are bringing the fullness of our experience, our confusion, our questions, our yearnings, our faith. We're bringing all of that to Lent. We're bringing whatever spiritual experiences we may have had into this sacred time. And this is a time we could almost consider like a time on the mountaintop, a time where we can be with Jesus where we can pray. We may not have extraordinary things happen this Lent, but this Lent is an invitation to go into that internal processing, to allow your hearts to open, all of our hearts to open, to where are we standing in the way of getting closer to God? Or what might we do 
to get closer to God? Are there things we need to purge? Are there things we need to start doing? And just pick one. Where is God knocking, perhaps, on your heart? What little internal voice might you be hearing of where you may be led? And it may not make sense. And you may need to sleep on it. And we may need to not talk about it. It may need to be an internal thing. And we may never know when what that experience we have will make sense. But we have the sacred time in Lent to go into that exploration. The more years we walk through Lent and walk through these practices, the more we come to learn that our hearts are transformed by Christ in ways we might understand at the moment, but also in ways we might not. So perhaps this Lent, let us let go of trying so hard to make sense Let us enter the experience of being with Jesus, with the disciples on the mountaintop, being with Jesus, with the disciples in this time of reflection, in this time of walking towards Easter. Amen.